the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. We are all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. and business, we talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomklein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. It's a live show. That means that we've got some fantastic guests on the air for you. We've got Kit Lancaster from Sterling Edge Financial. We've got an amazing, incredible author, Tracy Walder, author of The Unexpected Spy. And finally, I've got uh, Karen Taylor, a uh, trial consultant, uh, joining me on the air. Uh, we are sponsored by our good friends, Tom Mirabali, um, independent health insurance expert. But let's get right into it. I'm, uh, as mentioned, I'm thrilled to be joined by Kit Lancaster, who is the president and founder of Sterling Ed- Edge Financial. Kit has a passion for finance and desire to improve the lives of, of his clients. Um, really, really fascinating background. Kit, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Absolutely. So I know you work in a fiduciary capacity as a certified financial planner, um, but that's not where you started. I'd love to get to know uh, my guests, the uh, the folks behind the microphone. Tell me a little bit about your background and uh, some of your uh, some of your uh, work history. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, I, I did uh, four years at the University of Denver, with, and I graduated, and immediately trained. I had a ROTC scholarship. Always wanted to serve in the army. I got to serve just shy of five years as a field artillery officer uh, down at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. I did two tours to Iraq, uh, one during the surge, one during the drawdown. Um, on you know the last six months I was in the military, I started my own firm with regards to investing. Kind of figured out I don't I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't understand the industry, so jumped in and I aligned myself with a firm that was tied with securing financial out of Minnesota for the better part of seven years. And then just shy of two years ago, I, I just went off and started my own firm. I really wanted to focus in on financial planning. I really wanted to focus in on curating an extremely unique experience for my clients and really bridge and bridge my clients into uh, financial services by way of financial planning first and foremost. So how do you feel that your time in the military uh, prepared you uh, for helping clients around uh, financial guidance. Uh, I know that's something that is taught uh, in the military, uh, but not necessarily emphasized. And I know you're serving folks beyond just veterans. I know you have a passion for helping veterans, Um, but tell me a little bit about how how that experience sort of affected you. Yeah, I think what's great about the military is you get this amazing cross section of people from across the country 
And there are people that grew up very well, grew, people that grew up with nothing and everyone in between. Uh, but most importantly, you really have people that find or can accelerate and take advantage of the core values of the military to extrapolate, grow, improve themselves, and really be leaders and managers of teams. So you learn a lot from your peers. You learn a lot from different engagements with career officers and NCOs and warrant officers that have a different perspective. They have a different outlook on life. They have a different level of education. And being mindful of and digesting and engaging all those different perspectives, those different diverse backgrounds is really accredited and it kind of gets you out of your bubble. It's very easy to kind of be in an insulated bubble, I think, personally and professionally. And the Army just throws you out of that. So that's kind of number one. Number two, you know, and especially being deployed, you get to just pick up all these random tasks and jobs that you're not trained for and you have to figure it out. And I believe in financial planning as well as engaging in financial services. You need to be an amazing listener to facilitate and understand what the problem is in order to effectively provide solutions, guidance, and help to get the client to where they want to go to help them on their journey. Um, and as a military officer, that's really your job. Your job is to be a guide to help your unit succeed, to help your soldiers succeed, and to be accredited to the overall mission. And I think as a financial planner, that's really what you need to do as well. You need to figure out what is my training plan for this client? What do they need? What do they have? Where are they strong? Where are they weak? And then inform, educate, and give them a means to improve and build upon themselves. Yeah, it sounds like your military training uh, impacted you in terms of how you can help people, regardless of background, but also um, obviously uh, gave you a, a very specific focus of, of, of uh, some of the folks that you can help very specifically based on uh, their military background, uh, which is interesting. But as we said, you help everybody. You're a, you are a uh, fiduciary, meaning that you are a certified financial planner planner professional. And since 2011, you've been working to help a lot of folks understand financial challenges and opportunities. We're in an interesting time right now. We're in uh, this period of COVID-19. Everybody is uh, sort of in this holding pattern, or so it seems they're in a holding pattern. How do you have a conversation with a client to talk about the future when nobody even knows what's going on in the present? Well, similarly to a deployment, you don't focus, you focus on what you can control and not necessarily what you can't. You make peace with the things that you cannot account for. And then you try to build reasonable uh, courses of action and reasonable estimates for things that may be, that may be difficult to do so. So starting and understanding what you can control first, what you can influence is step one. And what's your, uh, what is your outlook for the future? What are you telling clients of, uh, should they uh, be setting aside more money now when their when their income might be volatile and and unpredictable, or should people uh, be sort of uh, taking a very conservative approach of not knowing what's coming next? Yeah, you know, really, you got to run yourself through a series of questions to understand the best course of action. So, number one, you know, how 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 is this impacting the business I work with or the marketplace I work in, I'm working in? Are people getting laid off? Are my hours getting cut? Am I getting more hours? Is it easy for me to work from home? Is it impossible for me to work from home? And then from there, move on to what does my cash and my budgeting situation look like? If my income is actively impaired or it's not impaired currently, what can I do to make sure I bridge myself to, to my next opportunity, whether that's full employment and waiting for this to get over? Maybe it's a new opportunity uh, or maybe this goes on for a while and you may have to find a, a new place to work or otherwise augment your income. So it's really kind of understanding and mastering your cash strategy first. Uh, and that's a very personal set of questions in order to get you to that right answer. 
I'm chatting with Kip Lancaster from Sterling Edge, Edge Financial. I've been working with, uh, with uh, Kit has been uh, helping clients since 2011, uh, helping clients navigate uh, financial decisions. And we are in a strange time. Ironically, it actually goes back to probably about the time that you were starting in 2011, tough economy then, tough economy now. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'd love to just sort of pick a little bit deeper, you know, for somebody that, uh, that might have a little bit of savings, a young professional, I know you're working with a lot of those, uh, that, uh, that has a little bit of savings and wants to take advantage of some of these crazy low interest rates that are available, some of the phenomenal lending opportunities. By the way, I'm saying crazy and phenomenal. Uh, those are both good and bad things, which is really the basis of my question is, should folks be taking advantage of that right now to perhaps purchase their first home? Um, or is now not the time to make those decisions? Well, I think you need to reflect back and be mindful that you know, low interest rates do help support asset values. So real estate tends to be supported by low interest rates. But at some point, they may have to creep up. You know, Cook County has just announced here in Chicago that they're going to reassess every tax pin in the next year. We'll probably see taxes go up because we've got a big bunch of crunch, uh, crunch coming up. So being mindful of all the factors, I wouldn't just jump in because you think it's a good idea. Um, I would see this as maybe an opportunity where you might find some distressed sellers or people that are very motivated to sell um, or otherwise accelerate uh, your opportunity to purchase if you're already in a good position to do so. So run through a good financial plan, run through your cash strategy. Don't necessarily move it up just because it feels good. Well, uh, Kit Lancaster from Sterling Edge Financial, lots of great advice uh, based on your experiences. Um, Kit, I've got about a minute remaining, and I know you are passionate about a lot of organizations that you're involved in. That's sort of what makes you unique is your involvement in those organizations and continued involvement in supporting veterans and the veteran community in Chicagoland. Tell us a little bit about those organizations. And uh, finally, we'll make sure we know uh, how to reach you. Yeah, I, I enjoy connecting with and serving the veteran community. I'm, I've been involved, been involved with the Veterans Leadership Council with Team Red, White, and Blue, uh, and a made of other um, veteran organizations. And I really enjoy those because it's an opportunity to connect with other veterans that are professionally engaged, professionally motivated with Veterans Leadership Council, as well as with Team Red, White, and Blue to get out, get active, meet veterans from around the area, as well as civilians that have a veteran affinity, and just do everything from hot yoga maybe a walk around the park or train for the next marathon. And I think those are great accredited organizations carrying uh, veterans forward into 2020, 2021. That's awesome. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about your services, talk about your experiences and how, uh, how uh, it uh, potentially can help them. Yeah. If you want to go to sterlingedgefinancial.com, Google Kit Lancaster CFP, I will pop right up. Feel free to reach out to me and you can book a quick 15 minute session. Um, I've also on a mid of different podcasts and have some other online content that could be accredited to them. Fantastic. SterlingEdgeFinancial.com's Kit Lancaster, thanks so much for joining me on the air. We are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are going to be right back with the author of a new book called The Unexpected Spy. Her name, Tracy Walder. Uh, it's a phenomenal read and we will be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Um, we've got a real treat for you. I'm thrilled to be joined by the author of The Unexpected Spy, Tracy Walder, um, as she details the incredible true story, her true story, um, how she met a CIA recruiter at a job fair and was recruited at the agency while a USC student and sorority sister and uh, her work over the next five years as a covert op 
um, for a CIA counterterrorism, uh, for the CIA counterterrorism center, assuming aliases, thwarting a terrorist attacks and hiding in trucks of cars on the way to debrief terrorists at black sites. It's a fascinating story and I'm thrilled to have the author with me on the show. Welcome Tracy. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So you uh, you talk about your phenomenal story. Um, this was not quite the life that you expected to live. Uh, no, it was not. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what your plans were and how it uh, how things transformed um, into the world of uh, CIA and FBI. Sure. I went to college to be a high school history teacher. I can't remember a time where I didn't want to do that. Um, I had a rather influential professor, though, who sort of encouraged me to think about careers outside of the classroom as well. So, you know, I started interning at museums, looking at jobs in the government. Um, And then I was really influenced um, ultimately by Peter Bergen and Peter Arnett's interview with Osama bin Laden in 1997. It's it's fascinating. And and so I guess that's what led to when a uh, CIA recruiter talked to you, you uh, you you continued the conversation. Yes, um, I went to a career fair and there were lots of different people recruiting at that that career fair. And I saw a table for the CIA and I just it kind of piqued my interest. And I happened to have my resume on me at the time because I was applying for an internship opportunity in Washington, D.C. So I had gone ahead and given him my resume. So the the lesson that I took out of your book um, and we'll we'll get deeper into the details, but um, you you tell some of the uh, some of the tales um, and some of the stories from your time at the CIA and FBI. Um, but a lot of the, what I take out of this is the lesson where you are teaching young women, young people in general, encouraging them to find a place in service in the FBI, CIA, State Department, and Congress, so they too can change the world. Um, I can tell you, I'm I'm 30. I joined uh, I joined the Army, um, the Army Reserves, and, and committed service, and that's been a big part of my life as well. Is is trying to use me as an example to inspire others to to serve in some capacity. In terms of the reaction to the uh, to the book, are you finding that people are being receptive to that to that message, or people are simply saying, "Tracy, you're crazy. You led your crazy life. I want no part of it." Oh no! Um, everyone, th- first, thank you for your service. Um, I would say that it has been overwhelmingly and incredibly positive. Um, and many, many women and men um, have reached out to me, you know, how can I get into these careers? Um, what do you recommend, you know, for us? I, I gave a speech at the Spy Museum and over 20 of my former students who now work uh, in the government came um, to my book signing there. And so it was really great to see them and to sort of see it come full circle. So, no, the, the reception has been very, very good. It was number one in audiobooks. So, did well. No, I, I'm I'm thrilled for that, and congratulations on the success. So, um, you you uh, accomplished a fantastic career, and that career uh, continues um, as you continue to serve as an inspiration uh, to others. But for many folks um, that are listening, um, they are do not feel connected or or think that a career in one of the three-letter agencies is possible. You probably did not think that a career in a three-letter agency was uh, was part of your future. We talked about that earlier. What are some of the things that, what, what's some of the advice that you would share with somebody listening that, uh, that doesn't feel uh, that, it, that, that there's any possibility for them? 
So I think the biggest problem and the biggest roadblock for a lot of people is perceptions that we see in pop culture. Um, I'm older than even 40, 41, 42. And so you know, when I applied, um, there was absolutely no pop culture references to both the CIA and the FBI. I mean, in fact, there wasn't even a new James Bond at that point. So for me, I had absolutely zero expectations. So for me, it was, well, why can't I apply? I had, there was no, no sort of barrier for me. But I think for today, with shows, you know, we see Quantico, we see Homeland, we see all those things are sort of in our face. Um, and a lot of people think, because obviously they're so aggrandized, those shows, um, you know, people need to watch them. So they have to be sexy and sort of unrealistic. And people assume that that's not something that they can do, or they assume that when they get there, that's exactly what it's going to be like. And then, you know, they're sorely disappointed because I hate to tell them that it's not. Um, so, and I, it's the same kind of advice that I tell my students, even when they're looking to apply for colleges is why would you not apply? Wait for them to tell you no. Why are you telling yourself no? Um, but I also think the biggest thing that's always helped me, and this might sound sad, but it's not, is that I really have no expectations or preconceived notions of things. I had no preconceived notions of what I thought, um, the CIA would be or what I thought the FBI was would be. And I was just ready to jump in, do whatever needed to be done. And I think that's why I had a positive experience. Uh, very, very interesting. So uh, I'm chatting with Tracy Walder, the uh, the author of The Unexpected Spy, um, which is the just the story, The Unexpected Spy, and what we're really uh, getting deep into. Um, that is you. You are the unexpected spy. What are some mm-hmm. of the lessons that, um, that you've learned along the way uh, that are going to uh, you? You are you are certainly uh, early on in your in your career. Um, still, even though you've accomplished some uh, pretty amazing things and have been involved in taking down some of the world's most notorious terrorists, um, what are some of the lessons that you now share with your students that you are now taking in life um, that uh, that have been taught to you through your training as well as through your experiences in the field? I mean, the first one is probably just to have an open mind. Um, You know, I think for me, I was a Jew spending a lot of my time in the Middle East. Um, You know, and a lot of people think that that doesn't go together Um, and that, you know, you can't have an appreciation and respect uh, for someone who's different. I I came to love the culture. I came to love the religion. So I approached everything with sort of this open mind. Um, And I think that's one lesson um, that I got you to kind of take your stereotypes away, kind of put them to the side. Um, I think the other one too is to probably stand up for yourself more um, and fight for yourself a little bit more. I learned that lesson um, at the FBI and to have a little bit more confidence um, in who you are. Uh, Really, really interesting. So I don't want to share all of the stories of the book. I want to make sure that our listeners uh, will pick up a copy and we'll share, uh, we'll share obviously ways that people can do that um, in just a moment. But uh, tell us a little bit about some of the, uh, some of the things that you've been involved in and the, the places that uh, perhaps you've been that you are able to talk about uh, that, that sort of have, have, uh, as you look back at, at your very accomplished career, um, they're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I was there. I've been there and I've done that. So I can't get into any detail, unfortunately, about any of the locations. Um, you'll see in my book that there are sections that are redacted. Um, I do, I mean, I, I talk about things that are there, but um, I learned very quickly in my redaction process that um, 
because I was overseas in a different name and a different identity that um, I cannot name the countries that I was, but I could be general about the areas that I was. Um, so, so for me, you know, I spent time in Africa. I spent time in the Middle East. Um, and now looking back on it, those are kind of two parts of the world that I never expected myself to be in, um, but that I really, really enjoyed. Um, you know, I never thought that I would be taking down members of the Mexican mafia, um, you know, when I was at the FBI. So those are just some of the small things uh, that I've done. And there are quite a few redactions, but there are still quite a few uh, remarkable stories, uh, inspirational lessons, and uh, interesting experiences. It is a remarkable read, The Unexpected Spy by Tracy Walder from the CIA to the FBI, My Secret Life, taking down some of the world's most notorious terrorists. Um, absolutely thrilled uh, that you were able to join us on Get Down to Business. Tracy, how can people find the book and learn a little bit more about, uh, about you and uh, your background? Sure. Um, the audio, the audiobook is obviously available um, anywhere. Um, you can get on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, whatever your local bookstores are. Um, also, you can see me um, on Twitter, Tracy underscore Walder, or my website, tracywalder.com. Those are probably the best ways to reach out to me. Okay, well, appreciate it. And uh, if we were not sheltering in place, I know uh, I know you were very involved in doing uh, quite a bit of uh, book publicity. But right now, um, obviously, uh, on the air and thrilled uh, that you were able to join us and uh, share some of those experiences. Tracy Walter, thanks for joining me and Get Down to Business. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, coming up after the break, I'm going to be sharing uh, more tips, advice, information. We are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. Check out my website, ShalomKlein.com. Follow me on Twitter at ShalomKlein. We will be right back after this quick break. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm thrilled to be joined by Karen J. Taylor, um, a trial consultant. Uh, from the strategic image. Uh, Karen comes to the legal field after a long and distinguished career in broadcast journalism. Uh, she is a former producer and director and writer for CBS News' 60 Minutes, ABC News' uh, 2020, and Close Up, PBS Frontline, and so much more. Karen is a trial consultant and master storyteller with 25 years of experience. So, Karen, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, it's great to have you uh, on the show, and we are going to talk about your trial consulting and what a trial consultant actually is. But I am absolutely fascinated with your background and how it's led to what you're doing now. So how, uh, Karen, tell us a little bit about your journalism career and uh, how it led you into the world of, uh, of legal advice. As most people who work in the news media know, many of our stories are based on lawsuits and legal disputes, and that was true for me as well. Um, I started off doing documentaries for ABC News Close Up and segued from that to 2020, where I was doing consumer reports and investigative reports, and then uh, went to 60 Minutes, where I produced segments for Ed Bradley. And while I was at 60 Minutes, I was covering a story that took place in Dallas. It involved a lawsuit. And the two attorneys that I met on that story said to me that they wished they had had someone with my storytelling skills available to them as they were preparing their case. 
because they had tried to create what is known as a settlement brochure, which is a short video explaining their side of the case to the other side, hoping that the other side will look at the video, think, oh my God, we're going to lose, and then settle the case. But they had gone to someone who didn't have a background in trial consulting and who basically did wedding and bar mitzvah tapes, and they weren't very happy with the result. And so in the course of the conversation, they mentioned trial consulting and told me about a firm in Los Angeles that did that. And my ears perked up because it would be a way to take my visual storytelling skills and apply them in a whole new venue, namely in court, um, and get year-round sunshine and 70-degree weather, too. So I was Definitely <laughs> interested. <laughs> well, so Karen, you are the founder of uh, of the strategic image, and uh, and which is as as we mentioned, a trial consulting and litigation graphics firm. Um, you've received uh, you've received Emmy nominations for journalism and filmmaking. Uh, some of your work in in that area, and I, I I'd love to understand a little bit more about what a trial consultant actually is. Well. You will hear the terms trial consultant and jury consultant used interchangeably, but they're really two different jobs and with different skills and background. Um, a jury consultant is the person who will do the mock trials before trial actually begins to help the lawyers get an insight into what jurors in that particular venue or locale may think. And then when trial starts, that jury consultant, who is usually a Ph.D. in psychology, will help the lawyers pick the jury. They'll help them figure out who's liable to be too biased to give a fair hearing to the evidence and who's more likely to be able to keep an open mind. A trial consultant, on the other hand, usually comes from a more varied background, and, and there are really three different types of trial consultants. I'm a graphics consultant who also does storytelling. In fact, I specialize in the visual storytelling, which means that I help the lawyers figure out how to weave their case facts and, and evidence into a, an interesting, plausible, and emotionally compelling story that will keep the jurors engaged and keep them interested in figuring out, you know, the issues in the case. Um, I also do the graphics that lawyers need to help make the complex simple, to put the visuals, I mean, put the, the case facts and evidence before the jurors in a visual way so that they can better understand them and better remember them. Some mm -hmm. trial consultants are, have backgrounds in technology, and they take the job known as hot seat operator, where they sit in the courtroom with the attorney, they design the whole setup of computers and monitors and high-tech gadgets in the courtroom, and then as the attorney is speaking, they pull up whatever document, exhibit, or graphic needs to be shown to the jury at that moment. It's a high-pressure job, and people who are um, faint of heart <laughs> usually don't go into that line of work. Um, other trial consultants have backgrounds in or degrees in communications and um, theater, and they often focus on helping lawyers do better jobs at presenting. So the trial consultant term is more broad than jury consultant, but we all help 
the lawyers and the jurors do a better job. And Karen, um, I'm going to have to squeeze in a very quick break over here. I know um, you are a member of the American Bar Association, the Chicago Bar Association, and the Writers Guild of America um, West. And uh, Karen, I, of course, you're not an attorney, um, but you are a collaborator um, with with uh, with a fantastic team, um, including attorneys, uh, and and uh, and you work with uh, jury con- other jury consultants. So we're going to get a little bit more into that. Some of the examples of the work that you're doing when we come back in just a moment. You're listening to Get Down to Business. All right, we are back on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm joined by the founder of The Strategic Image and a senior trial consultant, Karen Taylor. Uh, Karen is a a former producer, director, and writer for some fantastic shows, uh, working with an amazing team, and, and she uses her uh, her her storytelling skills, I think that's probably the best way of putting it, storytelling skills and graphic skills uh, to make a, uh, to work with, uh, with, with attorneys and, uh, and, and be a trial consultant. So we've been talking a little bit about what a trial consultant does. And uh, just before the break, I started talking a little bit about the teams uh, that you work with, Karen. Uh, Karen, I know you've mentioned in the past in, uh, in previous conversations that you believe your success is due um, to, to fielding stellar teams of collaborators. So who else do you work with in order to produce um, the, the products behind a successful trial consulting uh, uh, product, I guess? Well, it actually depends on the case and what the lawyer needs me to do. If the lawyer hires the strategic image to do graphics, then it will be a matter of what types of graphics he needs. And and the way I approach a case is I usually read the case pleadings, which are the documents that the lawyers submit at the start of trial. The plaintiff submits their case pleading, the defense submits theirs. I read them both so I know what the parameters of the case are, who's suing whom, what the issues are, and so forth and so on. And then I go through that and figure out, okay, here's the story they're telling. And this is how I think we might show that story visually, how we'll explain the issues in the case and display the facts and evidence. Depending on what I think the story needs, I will then call one of many uh, graphic designers and illustrators or computer animators or videographers whomever I think is going to be best able to tell the story in the appropriate medium. And I work with other freelancers and I've worked with many people in the industry over the years. And so what I do is I put together a Cracker Jack team based on the lawyer's needs and the the needs of the case. And so it's great for the lawyer because they get the dream team without having to pay for overhead, employee benefits, and all those other things that they would have to be paying for in the fees charged by a larger firm with everybody in-house. So it's a quite nimble uh, business model. Karen, when we're talking about trial consulting work, um, you are getting very, very deep into the case. And because of your remarkable uh, skills in storytelling, is it tantamount to jury tampering? Not at all. Um, Trial consultants do not have any contact with jurors at all. Uh, Certainly graphics consultants don't. Uh, We work 
outside of the courtroom, um, the jury consultants may wind up in the courtroom sitting in the, at the lawyer's table with the lawyer um, and the client, but they are not interacting with the jurors either. They are giving uh, information to the lawyers and assessing what they hear the jurors say, and then they give the lawyers their opinions out of the earshot of the jury. So none of this is jury tampering, and that's just a myth that's, you know, been circulated among the public who really don't know, for the most part, what jury consultants and trial mm-hmm. consultants do. Mm-hmm. And Karen, you provide a number of other services as well, aside for trial consulting. You're also providing media training for lawyers as well as presentation training. Uh, let's talk about some of the examples or successes of your work, if you are comfortable. Uh, tell us a little bit about why an, an attorney would come to you um, for media training. Obviously, I know your background in, in, in media and journalism, but, but why do they need those experiences? Well, as we all know, we live in a society that is fascinated by celebrity and very often celebrities go to trial. Um, I myself wound up outside the courthouse during the O.J. Simpson trial covering the O.J. Simpson media onslaught when I was still uh, working for the networks. And lawyers are not used to having to speak to the media, and they typically will give no comment uh, answers when, when journalists ask them about their cases. They do that because they want to protect the integrity of the jury system. They don't want to have the case tried in the media. But there is a way to strategically handle questions from the media that allows an attorney to keep everything sacrosanct as he or she should, but not let the other side poison the jury pool on the six o'clock news. So I help the attorneys figure out what the reporters are likely to ask and how best to answer the questions without just blowing them off with a no comment. Mm -hmm. And uh, Karen uh, Taylor, again, founder of the Strategic Image. Um, We are running out of time. And I know you offer a free consultation uh, for your services. I want to make sure our listeners know where they can Uh, find you, where they can contact you, and learn about uh, more of your uh, tremendous experience and background in uh, the world of media, um, as well as uh, your work as a trial consultant. Well, any attorney who is interested in finding out more about what we do uh, can look at my website, thestrategicimage.com. Again, thestrategicimage.com, all one word, all lowercase, or they can give me a call directly. I'm at 773-783-5900, and I'll be happy to speak with anyone uh, who is interested in finding out more about what I do and more about how I might be able to help them. I should say that during this time of sheltering in place, many of the courts are closed, and uh, the courts are trying to set up video conferencing so that the work of the court can continue. Mm-hmm. But for lawyers whose cases may have been postponed and are on hold, now is a perfect time. A good time to be proactive. Um, be proactive, exactly. Yeah, Karen, I'm going to have to leave it there. Tracy Walders joining me right after this quick break. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the show. Share uh, the links with uh, your friends, colleagues, neighbors. Uh, We've been on the air for six years, April 20th 
of uh, 2014 uh, was our first show. Uh, that means that we've had some fantastic hundreds of guests on the air. Um, but the past couple of weeks have been very, very interesting. Uh, in the past two weeks, I've spent uh, quite a bit of time with numerous business teams in a wide range of industries, helping them revise their sales and customer service messaging. Why? Because the words they used prior to COVID-19 to speak with customers and inspire conversations with prospects no longer apply. Today, building relationships, creating trust, and maintaining loyalty requires everyone to communicate with compassion. And that comes with a few challenges. Uh, how are the challenges that we face when communicating with compassion and how do we solve them? The word compassion, I looked this up, comes to us from the 14th century and it literally meant a suffering with another. How appropriate. We are all suffering through this pandemic together. And if we don't acknowledge this in our conversations, emails and messaging, we'll come across as cold, detached, in denial, egocentric and opportunistic. We are all receiving a, a massive amount of email traffic from every company that wants us to, to see that they are aware that there is a COVID-19 crisis. Yes, we are aware. Let's talk about compassion. Let's talk about how you are actually suffering with each other. For many of us, though, expressing compassion is difficult because it involves creating an emotional connection. Bringing emotion into our business conversations is uncomfortable when your best communication skills are founded in logic. Once emotion enters a conversation, it's easy for the business message to get derailed or vanish completely. While compassion is about connecting with emotion, it's important to know we don't have to stay in this emotional space. Simply enter into it, however briefly, and convey your concern, interest, and hopes for them at this incredibly difficult time. This will be remembered long after our pandemic isolation is over and will support both maintaining and building of trust and loyalty. You can express your compassion at the beginning of a conversation or even an email and then move into a business discussion, for example. Chris, the reason for my call email today is to update you on our webinar schedule. Before I get to that, I want to say that I hope that you, your family, your colleagues, everybody's doing well. Or you can include it at the end. Chris, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Or by email, thanks for giving this your consideration. I know everybody's dealing with numerous challenges. I hope you and your family and your colleagues are fine. Stay well. Or you can ask a very direct question, such as, how are you doing? This allows your clients or prospects to really share with you their current experience, which is an amazing and generous thing to offer someone. Once you've asked this question, only listen. Take a step back. This is not your opportunity to continue talking about your services and your discounts that you're offering and all that good stuff. Just listen. If that's when we start to contribute our own worries and frustrations that we lose the thread of our business conversation and it's difficult to get it, get it back. So what about you? How are you expressing compassion to your clients and prospects? How are you structuring your business conversations? I want to hear about it. I want to hear about what's working, what's not working, what's, uh, what's causing uh, a connection between you and your clients, and what, uh, what has worked in terms of growing your business. Because bottom line, you have to focus on growth at a time like this. But now is the time definitely to express sincerity and, and real relationships, really get to know your clients. This is an opportunity you can uh, transform a bit of the business relationship to also understand a little bit about them personally as well. It's okay to, uh, to dive into uh, mixing those, those categories. Um, we provide a lot of advice, tips, and information, again, on our website, shalomfine.com. Check it out. All of the podcasts, all of the shows from the past six years are available um, right there, shalomfine.com. While you're there, be sure to follow me on social media. I'm posting a lot of uh, networking events 
albeit virtual, lots of uh, webinars and Zoom sessions and opportunities to continue your learning online. Uh, all of those links are posted on my website, shalomfine.com. Once again, we are sponsored by our good friend, Tom Irabali, independent insurance agent. Um, and you can check him out at healthinsuranceplans.com. Um, thanks for joining me this week on Get Down to Business. To success, let's get down to business. I'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on 560 The Answer.